Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode six of the Technological Podcast. Today, we have Abhi Mukul. Abhi is currently a senior product manager at NewBank and previously worked in product management at Facebook. On today's episode, we talked to Abhi about his journey into product management. This includes how he found out what product management was, how he thought about product management versus other roles like consulting and investment banking, how he thought about the recruiting process for product management, including networking with current professionals, structuring and studying for all the different interviews that a product manager has to go through and choosing a firm that he wanted to work at. Uh, We also talk about his role at Facebook and the different products that he worked on. Uh, And then beyond that, we go into how he thinks about his career in product management long-term and why he decided to make the jump from Facebook to NewBank. We really hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and definitely like and subscribe and share this episode if you think it's helpful and you you think other people will find it helpful. Thanks. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode six of the Technological Podcast. I'm your host, Sarin, uh, and I'm joined by my two other co-hosts, Ubi and Anish. And today we are lucky to have Ubi, Ubi Mukul, who is uh, actually one of my uh, good friends from um, interning at Salesforce back in 2016. Uh, that's when we had originally met, uh, or sorry, 2017. Um, and uh, I was a PM intern. I think Ubi was doing program management at the time. Uh, and we were both like fascinated by product management. Um, and uh, that's how we started bonding. And, and uh, uh, we'll get into Ubi's background later, but um, we ended up keeping in touch over the past few years. We haven't uh, talked since the pandemic. Um, it's, been, it's been so long. I feel like uh, it's tough sometimes to, to, to catch up with everybody during the pandemic. But um, yeah, glad to have you on. And uh, thanks for coming, Ubi. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, as we were joking before we started, it took a podcast for us to reconnect after 18 months. So glad Technological brought us brought us back together. Uh, and then also, um, kudos to you guys for doing this. Because Seren, I remember three, four years ago when we were going through figuring out what is product market, product marketing, product management, there were not resources like this. Um, I remember going to like product school talks with you and we'd be like, you know, finding stuff on Google. And the, the quality of information was not that great. Um, and so happy to pay it forward. And it's awesome that you guys are reducing the knowledge gap. Yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Um, sweet. Let's go ahead and, uh, and get going. So we'd love to start uh, with you just telling us a little bit about your background um, and uh, your career progression up until now. Cool. So I'm currently working as a product manager at NewBank. Um, NewBank is one of the largest uh, Neo banks in the world and one of the top 10 valued startups. Um, basically, what we do is provide banking services completely online, which is a novel concept in many parts of the world and is still a novel concept in places like Latin America. So we started in 2014 and we've been around for about seven years and we're now valued at $25 billion and have over 30 million customers. So it's been an awesome success story for the company. I started about a year ago, and we can talk a little bit more about how I got there. Before that, I was working at Facebook. I was part of the RPM program. I did that and then was there for Facebook a little less than two years. Um, In college, I studied business and computer science. Honestly, I did that combination because I I found things appealing in both degrees, but couldn't quite pick between the two. Uh, And at some point, I was like, you know what? I could do two and be about the appropriate amount of time, and so I ended up doing uh, doing that. Um, I had always been interested in technology. Uh, I went to a school district where I had the option of taking a 
computer science course. I took AP computer science. And initially, I actually didn't like it. Um, I found coding to be boring, and I didn't see a career in it. I think the thing that changed for me was my senior year fall, so senior year of high school. I think this was 2013, so eight years ago at this point. Uh, there was a hackathon at Princeton University, which is you know around the corner from me. And my friends were like, hey, this is fall break. What? Like the weather was terrible or something. Let's just go check it out. And we ended up staying. Uh, we built something that didn't work. So that wasn't a success. But it was just an incredible experience to see people who had almost as little experience as me in software development building really, really cool apps. And I was like, wow, okay, this is like high potential. And there, the barrier to entry is pretty low. And the potential for impact is really high. Um, it was also around the time of like the Facebook IPO. And so like the technology industry was really heating up and people outside of Silicon Valley were starting to recognize what was happening. And the last thing that happened in that, in that event was um, there was a bunch of recruiters there because hackathons are a big place where they find potential software engineers. And so I, I ended up and went and talked to, I believe it was either a recruiter from Google or Yahoo. I don't remember which one. And I just struck up a conversation and this person was nice enough and didn't wave me away, even though I was just a high school student, clearly not eligible for any of their jobs. And I was just like, look, I find this technology thing interesting, but I can't see myself coding. What is the career for me if I want to stay in tech and work with people who are building things, but not actually build them myself? And that's when they mentioned, hey, we have this thing called product management and then there's an APM program. And that's what got like the, you know, the wheels turning. And I wasn't sure until I did the job that this is what I wanted to do, but it, I had always had it back of mind. So throughout college, I, I, you know, meandered and thought about various different careers. At some point it was consulting, at some point it was investment banking, at some point it was software engineering. I did internships in software engineering, did an internship at Salesforce with you. Um, and then being out in the Bay got exposed to product management and sort of ended up there. So that's like a high level overview. We can dive deep wherever you'd like to. Yeah, that's great. That's really, uh, really helpful. I think what's interesting is you found out about product management like back in high school. I think the first first time I heard about product management was probably my junior year of um, of college, um, and I was a I was a computer sciences ma major as well. So it was uh, there, but you know most people were talking about you know software engineering, right? Naturally. Um, so that's great. So let's say, you know, let's, if we rewind back to, you know, your internship at Salesforce, you still knew you wanted to get into product management. Um, now you're kind of in your, your senior year of college. Um, how did you go about the uh, process for figuring out, you know, where you wanted to work um, as a new hot, you know, new grad into the workforce after you graduated? how did you go about um, figuring out what all the APM programs were? Um, you know, and, and networking with various people to just understand how, how you could prepare. What was that like? So I'm going to rewind a little bit more to junior year to give provide context. So uh, in my junior year, I was split between doing product management and consulting. Um, both seemed really appealing to me, product management, because I could do this thing that I'd been interested in for a while and consulting because it seemed like the thing you do if you're not 100% sure of what you want to do. Right, that's what the appealing thing was. And then, you know, the miles and the travel and all, all that, all those perks, which don't exist as much right now. 
Uh, and so I was like, all right, I'm just going to head and inter and recruit for both. I ended up getting off and I did a lot more PM recruiting was for the most part, not that successful. Um, uh, applied for a bunch of places, got rejected for most of them, got some second round interviews and the Salesforce was one of the ones that, um, that went through. Did, did recruiting for consulting as well and got an offer. In the end, I ended up deciding to do Salesforce because I went to a school where there was a decent amount of people who had done consulting. And even though I had not done the job, I kind of knew what that meant. I had never been to San Francisco um, before that. I had never really worked in the tech industry. And so for me, that was the unknown. I was like, okay, I want to validate this hypothesis that product management slash the technology industry is what's for me. And so that's why I ended up doing the internship at Salesforce. Um, at Salesforce was with Sarin. And I think my role was program management, but I, I kind of had this uh, interest in product management. So I spent a lot of that summer meeting with PMs at Salesforce. That's the first place I started. I worked with a lot of them, tried to understand what their job was. Then I expanded beyond that to think about my network. So first the Michigan alumni network um, and see what alums are working on at startups or big companies in Silicon Valley. I had some friends of friends who were doing product management, a couple who are part of APM programs and just trying to learn, you know, trying to understand. And for the most part, everything I heard continued to validate my hypothesis that, yeah, this is the job that I would want to do. Uh, as we were getting into the, like the end of the summer, I went to like a couple network events, um, went to like product school, which some of you may have heard of, and they had a couple speakers. Um, I don't think I was that successful in what we would think of as networking from the consulting context, which is hopping on the phone with a associate working there and seeing if that person would plug you. I didn't find that help to be that helpful for large tech, tech companies. It was more helpful in the sense of me getting information. What was helpful, and I would recommend to everyone, especially those who are applying to larger tech companies, is to try to get referrals. Um, I think referrals are a key, especially when you're applying to PM roles, because what a referral does is it pretty much puts you in a different pile, and that pile is much shorter than anyone else who's cold applying. And for me, that was like a key. I got a referral at Facebook um, and a couple other places as well. And once you got referrals, my success rate or my battering average was way higher than it was in my internship year where I didn't know anyone. So that's pretty much a summary. Uh, where where else would you like to cover? I, I kind of also want to dive into like the networking aspect. So sure. kind of, I think some people struggle with reaching out to people like what do they say how do they structure the conversation how do they sound like they're intelligent and then how do you eventually ask for a referral to the company so if you could kind of talk about like you know like what was your value add when you were talking to these people and like why why did they want to take the call with you because i'm sure a lot of people are bombarded every day with lots of emails like i want to do this i want to do that so how did you stand out yeah and I think maybe to add on to that real quick how do you figure out which companies to go to? You know, how do you figure out which might might align with what you care about, right? Where where you'd get the best experience. So I'm actually going to answer the second, and then I'll answer the first. So for me, um, as it was nearing the end of the summer, I think it became clear to me that I wanted to go work at a place which had a formal associate product manager type program. The reason for this was I felt that was the best way for me to learn how to be a good PM in a formal setting. 
The second thing was I thought it would be awesome for me to learn along with a cohort. So every APM program, you have a batch of people that are starting with you. And I thought that just be an awesome community to have. And the third um, was that I felt that since most APM programs were at large tech companies, it would just be a lower risk thing for me to do when I wasn't that certain that this is what I wanted to do versus go join a startup where it's just higher risk, higher reward. So I was playing, you know, kind of hedging a little bit there. So once I made that decision, I was like, okay, there's at that point only like six or seven places, maybe even less uh, that had formal APM programs that had been around for at least a year. Uh, I know that number is growing now, which is awesome. But at that point, the number was really, really small. So I just made a list of each one. And then I was like, okay, who do I know at this place? Uh, for I think Google, Facebook, and Uber, I knew people from either college or high school who had worked there. Um, for the other ones, I didn't know anyone. And so for the ones that I knew of someone, I just reached out to that person. And there, it was relatively easy to get a referral because you already have established connection. And I think that's usually my advice. It's pretty hard to go from a cold email to a referral within a short time span. You can make it work, but I think you have to step, build a relationship with someone for a couple months. Um, the other thing I would, I would mention um, that's different with tech companies in general, and I don't want to generalize, but what, from what I've seen versus consulting or banking is in consulting or banking and other business roles, it is an expectation of an associate or a consultant who is working there that part of their job is to talk to candidates. Part of their job is to do recruiting. Um, and like they know that they're expecting this inbound and they will play a role in selecting who gets, who gets an interview. That is not the case in most tech companies, especially the larger ones. And so someone who just wants to talk to you is honestly just doing the good of their, good of their heart there's not that much of an incentive for them to do it. Um, and so that's that's another thing you'll notice as well. Going to the places I didn't know people, I, I tried reaching out much earlier on, so a couple months before I would want a referral, and I tried using some mutual connection uh, or some shared interest or some shared background uh, to form that. In some cases it worked, in some cases it didn't. So I, I can't claim that I had a fantastic strategy for those uh, those places as well. Yeah, um, and, and I would also add to that, like when it comes to getting a referral from somebody who you don't necessarily know or have a great relationship with, I think it's really like, you know, like you said, it's it's good to bring up some kind of shared interest or some kind of shared like mutual friend and and tie that into it. But really at the end of the day, like, you know, you should, you should reach out to them early on, build a relationship with them. And the way you should do that should be personal. Like you should have some personal reason why you're reaching out to that person. Um, and not like, you know, like it's like that person should be special for some reason, not just because he or she works at Facebook or Google or wherever, like you should have a, a good reason because it really, you know, in my experience and in other people's experiences, like people get messages all the time. And so you have to have a, a real reason why that person is somebody who is, who would be good to help you. Um, so, uh, yeah, segueing from that, actually, you know, you get the interview, um, you be scrappy, you figure out, you know, ways to get a referral and, and you get a PM interview. 
can you explain to our listeners what the PM interview process is like? Um, and then, you know, high level, like what are the different rounds um, and then the different areas and, and we can dive into to each. Cool. So answering the question of what is the PM interview like is hard because it's completely not standardized. It varies a lot from company to company. Where I would recommend most people to get started is read, there's this book called Cracking the PM Interview. Um, for those of you who are engineers, you've read Cracking the Coding Interview, and it's a good foundation. The book's a little dated now, but it provides you a good foundation of, okay, what is the PM job? What are the interview structures? And how do the large companies interview? And how does it vary from one company to another? So that got, that's what I started with and got a good base uh, using that. The next thing you do is that you go at each of these companies' Glassdoor pages, um, or you could just Google, and you will see some examples of interview questions that people post. So that gets you the sense of, okay, here's what a Facebook PM might get asked, here's what a Google PM might get asked, um, and you can use that to get uh, lay of the land. Once you get an interview, the interviewer will also provide you a information about what the format looks like, what are the rounds, and some preparation material or links to read. I can talk a little bit about what are the things I've generally seen, and then I'll go a little deeper into Facebook, whose interview process I'm familiar with, and I think is a decent benchmark. Um, there's some that are, that are different. So I think uh, product management interviews are similar in some ways to case interviews, but different in other ways. So I'm gonna use that as a benchmark because I think a lot of your audience might know what a case interview is like. So like in a case interview, you're walking in to a, a, a hypothetical scenario, and you're sort of problem solving with the interviewer to come to an answer. Like in a case interview, the, the answer is not as important. It's how you structure your thoughts, how you communicate, how you respond to information, how you handle pushback from the interview. So those are the things that are said. The thing that's different is the context. So in a case in a room, you might get asked about a CPG company or a financial or a financial services company or you know an oil refinery. Here, it's most likely going to be a tech product. Uh, in fact, it could be a product of that company that you're interviewing for, or it could be something completely different. In the types of interviews you have, I would break them apart into one, uh, which is called product sense. Second, which is either called product execution or analytical. The third is a behavioral, and then the fourth is a technical interview. So let's walk through each one of them, and please stop me if you guys want me to go deeper or you know have any follow-up for each one of them. The product sense interview is basically trying to understand how can you take ambiguous problems and turn them into great problems. That's it's a very vague prompt, but that's that's what it is, and it's a big job of the product manager. This interview is assessing how well you can undertake a prompt understand who are the customers, um, the potential customers, what are their needs, what is currently there in the market to meet those needs, what are the unmet needs, and based on that, what would you build? Some potential solutions that you might build. The execution interview is more like, okay, now you know what to build. You figure that out in the product sense interview. How would you actually build it? Uh, you go more into the details now. So how would you measure success? What are the metrics and or counter metrics you'd use? How would you run an experiment or an A-B test to understand if this succeeds? If there's issues, how would you debug the problem? The third interview that I talked about is um, the technical one. Uh, so this is 
an optional one in the sense that some, some places have it, some don't. Google, for example, did, Facebook did not. In this one, you, an engineer uh, is most likely trying to talk to you, trying to understand um, what is your technical understanding. Now, a little bit of a tangent. One of the big differences between each company is whether they require a computer science degree for you to have a product management um, role. Some do, some don't. So Google does, for example, and has. Uh, Facebook does not. So the technical interview is more common in companies which do require uh, you to have some technical background. In this interview, you will not be asked to code for the most part, but you might be asked uh, about high-level technical architecture, um, understanding how databases work, how caches work, how servers work. The goal is like, if you, if you get put into a team of engineers, will you be able to converse with them? Will you be able to earn their respect? That's what they're trying to understand, not whether you can code, because they will have other people do that. And then finally, there's somewhat of a behavioral interview. I don't think this one's that different than you, what you might get in any other industry. Just trying to understand if you're a culture fit, we'll ask you when you uh, face challenges, ask you to talk about some experiences. So I'll pause there and let me know where uh, you'd like to take it from here. Can you, can you give some tactical steps on how to approach each of these interviews? Like what are, what are some things that I can do? Like let's say I'm an undergrad student and I'm interviewing at a couple places for these APM programs. Like what is something tactical that I can do? So I understand what's coming on the interview, but like how do I actually prepare for it? Do I, I can do case interviews, but there must be something more to do than just like a case interview, right? Maybe let's maybe let's like divide that question. We'll like segment that question for each um, part of the interview process, yeah. like you said. So like, you know, we can, what's your what's your tactical advice for product sense? What's your tactical advice for execution, um, et cetera? Cool. So I think you can take product sense and execution together because they're it, how you would prepare is a little similar and the other two we can cover afterwards. So um, I think uh, first, you know, look, read and look up examples. And then second and most importantly, and similar to case prep, do a lot of mock interviews. I think people in the PM preparation community don't value mock interviews enough as much as they do in the case prep world. And I wish they did. Part of the reason this is difficult is when you're doing uh, case interviews, there's usually an easily accessible community for you to prepare with. The companies will offer you mock interviews. You might be part of a consulting club. You will know other people that are preparing with you. Um, for product management, that's more difficult. I remember I would do mock interviews with Seren and a couple other friends, honestly, that I knew. There was like four people I knew and we would just give each other mock interviews and that's, that's what it was. Um, so you probably won't be able to get enough volume as a case interview, but that's the general idea. I would recommend preparing a lot. Specifically for each of the interviews, I think it's also helpful to have some context of the industry, especially if you've never worked in tech. So talking about product sense, the things you should know about are what are the products and the trends that are out there? Specifically, you want to know a little bit about the company and or industry that your company operates in. That give you a good grounding of what's out there, what's worked well, what's not worked well. So have that context. For the execution slash analytical interview, um, the thing that you should be able to do is one, prioritization. That's what they test a lot. So there's a lot of frameworks out there um, that you can read up to understand how to prioritize, how to pick between different options. The second thing is to understand metrics. And this is something that I think is definitely worth learning and can be easily learned. Um, so 
bunch of frameworks out there. I recommend Decode and Conquer is a book by Lewis Lynn that has, lists out a couple of these. And you could probably spend a separate couple of weeks and learning about them. Uh, and I think that that terminology will be helpful. So a combination of doing this learning plus doing mock interviews should help you be prepared. The one caveat I would add here is that it's important that you are not robotic uh, and you are not just regurgitating a framework that you memorized. I don't think that's great in case interviews either, but it's in especially a problem uh, in product sense interviews or product execution interviews. I do interviews for companies, my company now, I did it for Facebook, and you can clearly know when someone's walked in with a framework memorized. And the problem isn't that you memorize a framework. The problem is that usually the thing you've memorized doesn't exactly fit to the situation that you're given, and then you're in trouble. So you can have frameworks in your mind, but you need to be adaptable and figure out, okay, yeah, how does like the thing that I've learned work in this situation rather than trying to force it? Does that make sense? Any other questions about products or education? I would just uh, add on and just like, again, harp on the fact of how important these uh, mock interviews are. And like being frank, when me and Ubi were going through this, like Ubi had read uh, the the crack in the PM interview, like um, he had skimmed it, but like he, he had grasped it really well and he had practiced it a bunch. Um, and when me and him were going through these interviews, like it, it was almost like, um, like, it, it was almost like you, you had, you pretty much like had this down to a science, down to a T where you could, uh, you would practice it so many times that you were able to understand, okay, like you were able to put your yourself in the frame of that specific um, company. Like, you know, we would, we would do like a Snapchat example where like, you know, we, you would need to um, uh, build a feature to like grow some metric. Um, and, you know, you would already, you would, frame your mind or like around what Snapchat is like. And I think that's another good piece of advice is to um, do research and really know the product well of that company that you're interviewing at um, so that you can get your mind in that frame set. Um, and then, and then, uh, yeah, just like, like you had it down to a science. So repetition is, is really good. Um, so uh, just dive on, on, on that. No, I think one, one more thing I would add because you reminded me this, um, especially for product sense. Something else I would recommend to people is like pick a couple products, maybe phone apps, and really dive deep into them and think of yourself as the PM for that product. Mm -hmm. So let's say I, I often pick like Venmo because it was an app that you know all of us use a lot in college. It's like, let's say I became the PM of Venmo. What would I change? And I would just do this exercise in my head. And you don't even have to think about it like an interview. I, I thought it was a fun exercise. And I'd, then tomorrow I'd pick another product. Okay, Snapchat. Now I'm the PM of Snapchat what would I build? And I think like just doing that exercise in your head while you're commuting or while you're doing something else is a good forcing function. And so that when you walk into an interview and you're given a scenario that you haven't seen beforehand, you've gotten the reps. So it's not only the mock interview prep, which I think you should definitely do. It's also these like brainstorming exercises that help you think on your feet. Um, so that that's because I think most product sense and execution interviews that I've seen in the industry don't give you preparation time in advance. So you will walk in, they'll give you the prompt, and then you have like a minute or two to think about it, and then you dive in. So I think doing the brainstorm exercise is also helpful. Yeah, and and we had uh, we had written out, you know, like what were the things that we love about Venmo? Like what were the things that we love about Snapchat? Right. What would we improve about Snapchat? We had written out like all the times, all the questions that we had asked each other when we were doing mock interviews and just refer to those um, as much as we could to, to like get it into our brain. 
Um, and even on like the execution side of the interviews, we we had we would like build on this list of metrics. I don't know if you exactly right. remember, like yeah. we we're like just so we knew, like okay, monthly active users, daily active users, churn, um, you know, like time spent on on certain page, like those metrics would be top of mind, and we can bring those up and tailor those to any kind of product execution or scenario. Yep, uh, fond memories. Yeah, yeah. I think to be fair. Like these, the reason, the reason I think, you know, Abby's mentioning this is the way you should uh, try to practice is because ultimately, you know, if you do become a PM and you go to a, a company that has a strong product culture, I mean, that is ultimately um, going to be not, not just your task, but your entire product team's task, right? To, to think about how to improve the product, to think about how to achieve, you know, your company's strategy or mission um, or various goals for the year, right? So being able to think on your feet in that interview process will will hopefully show and translate how you can do it to, to help the company, right? Yeah, I, I agree. I think the for the most part, interviews are not perfect in the sense that the, there's never been an interview that replicates the real world. I don't think that has ever happened to me, but the, the pre-em interviews I've seen have had a good correlation to what you're actually doing. Uh, and if you can demonstrate those skills in an interview setting, there's a good chance you will be able to learn and you know demonstrate those skills in the actual world. So plus one to your point. So I think I think this provides a really good transition point, right? Like what the interview actually looks like and how does that correlate with what you do on a day-to-day -day at Facebook? So if you could kind of walk us through what what was your original role at Facebook and what did your day-to-day -day look like? Uh, and then just evolve that into like, how did that change over time? Like, like your initial responsibilities and then um, like a year or two later, like how did you kind of up ramp those responsibilities? Cool. So I think what I'll start with is how I think about product management. There's a lot of definitions um, that you can look up as to what product management is. The one that has resonated with me the most is it's you're kind of like the conductor of an orchestra. The reason I like this is if you think about an orchestra, there is one conductor and there's a lot of different instruments that are being played. The job of the conductor is to figure out how to synchronize all these together so you can make beautiful music. That's what it is. And I think product management is like that. There's one PM and then there's a bunch of different roles. There's designers, there's engineers, there's product marketers, there's data scientists, there's machine learning engineers, there's content strategists, there's researchers, on and on and on, right? All of these play a vital function in getting a product built. And your job is to bring them all together to create a cohesive roadmap and then have ship an awesome product. So that's how I think about it. At Facebook, I was part of the RPM program, which stands for the Rotational PM program. Uh, it's pretty much an 18 month, three rotation program to get people who have little to no experience in product management like myself ramped up and then ready to be a PM at Facebook or really anywhere else. Um, the way the rotations work is that you get randomly assigned to your first one and then you pick your second and your third. And then usually your scope grows. So you start with a very narrow scope. Um, so you're learning and you know working on a very uh, thinly scoped problem. And then over the course of time, uh, you, you work on something larger and larger. So my first rotation at Facebook was working on the ads and business side of the world. Um, basically, my team was responsible for helping the businesses that use Facebook 
understand the ROI of their advertising and the ROI of their organic posts. So when you make it, when you run an ad on Facebook, you want to understand, okay, what does this mean in terms of how many views have I gotten? How many clicks have I gotten? And then downstream, how many conversions or how many people actually bought the product or attended the event, whatever you were trying to optimize for. And then sort of similar on the organic side, like I made a post, what did this lead to? And my team's job was to help businesses understand this. The thing that we were playing around with was if you're a large Fortune 500 company, you have teams of people running your advertising accounts. If you're a fruit seller in Thailand or a small business in you know somewhere in Nigeria, you likely don't. But you want to use Facebook ads, but all these metrics are you know Greek and Latin to you. You're not a product manager. You haven't studied metrics. And so my team was trying to understand a play around with how could we get, how could we translate these abstract things to some people like clicks, views, to what is the downstream impact on their business? Uh, and so what we were largely doing is running experiments uh, to, to show businesses what the bottom line impact could be or project what the bottom line impact could be for them to understand. So the goal here was to just drive engagement and then eventually drive uh, downstream revenue. Do you want me to talk about the second or third? Do you want you want to dive deeper into this one? I think you can dive just like a little bit deeper um, into like what you did and kind of how the role role evolved, right? Yeah. So this one was the the small scope. Um, the way, by the way, the word scope is kind of interesting, and you'll see product managers use it a lot. There's a really it, it's hard to define what scope is. At Facebook, the way it was defined was how many engineers are on your team. I don't think this is a perfect way, but it is a decent proxy. So first team, very thin scope. When I started, it was like one and a half to two engineers on my project. By the end of it, it was like three to four engineers on my project. I thought it was awesome that I started with a small scope because when you start, there's just a ton of stuff you don't know. So you spend a majority of your time just reading and learning, some of it through formal documentation, but the best way I learned was through learn, learning by example. I would spend a lot of time looking at what other PMs that I respected or in the organization that I was part of were doing. And I honestly would copy paste a lot. Um, and I learned a lot from just doing that. So this rotation lasted about five months. Um, I would say that this was, you, you talk about like uh, a PM role somewhere between how much do you split your time on the strategy side and how much you spend your time on the execution side. Strategy is figuring out what what, and why, really. And execution is more like, okay, yeah, now we know what the goal is. We know, um, you know why we're going towards this goal. Execution is like, okay, let's do it. Um, it's running a lot of experiments, doing a lot of A-B tests. This rotation was a, mostly execution. Um, towards the end of it, so Facebook does planning uh, and roadmaps in every six-month cycle. So towards the end of my rotation, I got to spend some time thinking about what the roadmap would be for the next six months, but that roadmap would be executed by someone else. So I was kind of creating a roadmap that someone else was going to execute. So I got to flex a little bit of the strategy stuff, but not as much. So moving to rotation two. So this was one that I wanted to choose. Um, one of the things that I wanted to get out of my rotation experience was just a diverse set of experiences. I was like, I have this fantastic opportunity to work in this incredible business, I'm going to, uh, you know, I thought it was like kind of like a buffet, like 
sample different things and figure out what I like. That, that was that was the strategy. So the first uh, the one I worked on was a pretty legacy product in the sense that advertising and has been around on Facebook since pretty much the inception and a very execution focused. Quite frankly, it wasn't an area I cared about much. Uh, I care more about consumer product. Um, the business side was less, less interesting to me because I couldn't relate with it. So for rotation two, I was like, I want to work on something that I personally care about a lot. I want to work on something that is newer to the company. I want to work on something that provides me the opportunity to do a little more exercise, a little more of the strategy component. So the thing that I chose was to work on Facebook's election integrity team. Basically what this team does is to try to stop all kinds of bad stuff happening on Facebook around elections. Uh, I'm sure your audience is aware that in the past couple of years, Facebook has been under a lot of scrutiny post-2016 because of fake news, um, abuse, hate speech, et cetera, that has happened online. And so my team was created in the aftermath of that. I was specifically working on the misinformation area. And this was in winter 2019, when there were elections in India, Indonesia, European Union, Nigeria, and other parts of the world. So my team's job was to try to stop fake news in these places. I thought this was a fascinating challenge because um, one, I knew how critical it was for Facebook to get it right, right? This was an existential problem for the company, uh, given how much of our reputation was at risk, um, not only in the news media, but our, our users didn't want fake news on our website. Uh, they, they said that very explicitly. I also, and we will get to this a little later as well, love working in emerging markets. That's one of the reasons I liked working in technology was being able to see the impact of what a technology company does in emerging markets. And so being able to be part of um, elections or uh, in around the world was really cool. And then in my free time, I'm also like a policy geek. And spent spent a lot of time reading about that side of the world. So the intersection of tech and policy has always been super fascinating to me. So this is kind of a perfect role. Um, it was a really incredible experience. This role I, I started when I started on the team, spending a lot of time doing research and understanding the market. So we did a two-week re research trip in India and went to villages there and literally asked people to see example of fake news on Facebook on their phone and see how they responded. Um, what would happen? What was political polarization like? And we did similar things in Indonesia and the other markets that were there. Once we got an understanding of, okay, here are the problems we can solve. Then we started building solutions to solve this problem. Uh, fake news is a really, really hard problem to solve because no one can define what is fake, right? Your definition of what is fake can be very different than my definition of what is fake. And we've seen that in the political polarization that has happened. Facebook stance then and for the most part now with some rare exceptions is that they don't want to put their thumb on the scale and decide what's fake or not. Um, and so what they do is they flag that content that they think could be potentially fake and they send it to third party fact checkers. So pretty much journalists and news organizations. And that's how if something is fake, it either gets downranked. So pretty much that means like you will see it less or they might put a stamp on it saying, hey, Sarin, this is fake. Um, just wanted to let you know, someone has said this is fake. You can still read it if you want to, or in rare cases, they might remove it. Um, so it's a really interesting product challenge, right? Because a lot of it is not in your control. Um, and it's also very hard to measure because you don't know what, what, is, um, what is fake. My team's job for the most part was operating one on the backend machine learning side to build models and to detect things that might be potentially fake and send it to third-party fact checkers. 
And then also we, we played somewhat of a role in building UI treatment. So basically uh, user interfaces that could help people understand, hey, this is something that has been marked fake by a fact checker. Here's a warning, uh, you know, read with a caveat. And we actually launched this um, for the first time right before the elections in India. And it got a lot of really good press coverage and people liked it, liked it a lot. So that, that was the experience. Um, we, we did this for a couple different elections, the last being the European Union one. And I was on this team for about six months as well. Once again, this team, a little more strategy focused, that to do a little bit of that. But um, especially when the elections started happening, it was more about like, hey, let's start deploying these things. Let's see what's going on in the market and respond to that. Cool. So I thought of my first rotation as the past of Facebook, like advertising and business. Not to say it's not important, but it's been a legacy product. I thought of my second one as the present. So election integrity, fake news is the, the current problem. For my last one, I wanted to think about what is the future of this company? Um, one of the biggest bets that Facebook is making is in augmented and virtual reality. Um, if you listen to Mark Zuckerberg, he thinks of it as the next computing platform. The bet that Facebook's making is we started out with computers, then we went to mobile. Facebook thinks in the next 20, 10 to 20 years, we will all be in augmented or virtual reality devices. And so Oculus is a company they acquired in 2014 or 2015. And I worked as a PM on the Oculus Quest, which is the uh, leading VR device out in the market. And my team was the home team. So you put the device on, if any of you use VR, and it says, hey, Avi, how are you today? What would you like to play? Kind of think of it like the Netflix homepage, but in virtual reality, showing you options of games and entertainment. Um, and so the, my team's job was to figure out how can we get people to love this product more? How can we get them to be engaged? How can we get them to come back and keep up, buy more apps? Um, and that's, that's what we were doing. This team was by, the, by far of the three, the largest scope. I started out with a team of about 10 engineers. By the end of the rotation, it became 15 engineers. So you can already see it's like 3x of what I did uh, in my first rotation. It was also the most strategic because the problem was pretty ambiguous. VR was also a very new area. So we couldn't necessarily rinse and repeat the things that Facebook had done in other places. And it was, for me, an interesting challenge to work with a very different form factor. So I had been used to designing products for the mobile and for the web. When you're designing for virtual reality, where you know it's a 360-degree sphere, you just have to think differently in terms of the experience that you provide, uh, provide to people. I think this rotation was a decent balance of strategy and execution. Um, I got to work a little bit on the strategic part in the beginning when we were setting the roadmap for the team, then spent a couple months on execution. And then as we got into planning for the roadmap for the next year, spent a lot of time with research and setting the strategy. I also, the other difference was I stayed on to this team after my rotation for another three months. So this was the first time I was there for longer and got to see, got to carry out the roadmap that I had done um, already. So yeah, I think that that generally covers it. Any questions so far? No, I just, I was gonna um, kind of insert some things here. I think that's great. Um, your experiences across all these rotations um, that clearly gave you a wide breadth of uh, experience as a product manager. And I think, you know, one thing to note here, right, is with these rotational programs, um, and even at a company like Facebook, right, some of us might think of Facebook, and then think of, you know, the, the facebook.com newsfeed that we go to. Um, and then, you know, can see our, our friends photos connect with our, our family, you know, 
wish our friends happy birthday. But um, when you actually uncover some of those, um, you know, get really deep into what the company does, there's so many different spaces you can work in. There's different stages of the life cycle in which these products are at, right? It sounds like um, as you've gone through it on the VR side, at least at the time, now I know Facebook is really, really getting into uh, VR, AR. But um, at the time, maybe there was a lot of focus on, well, what are we going to do in this space? Um, a lot of emphasis on user research, right? Really trying to figure out what's feasible for the company, what makes sense, and, and when to actually deliver that, right, in, in a time period in which there might be real user adoption, right? So I think um, that's great that, that you got all these different projects to work on in different spaces of the company um, and got to focus on different cycles of the product management um, lifecycle. So, so one quick question I had is, you know, as you transitioned from, um, you know, interviewing for this PM role to then going through all of these different rotations as a PM, um, and then, you know, onto your next role, how do you feel like you grew? Um, and what were some of those skills that you felt, felt like you really truly developed as a product manager that you might not have experienced through the interview process? Yeah, I think the main skill or realization I had was that a big part of product management is working with people. So when you when you join as a product manager, you're told, hey, you're not managing anyone, right? No one reports to you, at least if you're at a junior level. So my assumption was was great. Like I'm gonna kind of decide like the product side and then the engineering manager and the other managers, other people managers will figure out all the people related stuff. And I won't have to deal with that. And this is not this is not true at all. Um, for for most companies, in order to or for most teams, in order to build products, what's really important is incentives, right? You need to incentivize your team to really care about what they're doing, to really love, to really believe in the vision, the vision, the strategy. And if you can do that, then only will they give you your hundred percent and trust you and be willing to put in their time and effort. Because especially in Silicon Valley, like they could go work at any other team or they could go work at any other company. There's nothing tying them down to this. And so what you come to realize is like you are playing a big role there. There's a lot of times when there's uh, a conflict of interest between what is an individual person's incentives and what is the team's incentives. And you are you will play a role in trying to figure that out. There are also a lot of times where even at big companies like Facebook, you do not have enough people to do what you want to do, right? You are always, almost always under-resourced. And you'll have to figure out, okay, how, how can we navigate that? There are also challenging people situations, people coming in and out. And your job is to, uh, as a leader on the team, is to maintain the morale. And I think that's just something that I never thought about in the interview process. No one told me that and wasn't ever something that was assessed. But I think like the best product managers are the ones that have a lot of empathy, not only for their users, but for their team. Um, so that was a big, big realization. Yeah, and, and that's something that everybody should try and think about the, the experience that they're getting in their internships or in their current role, whether it's consulting, like how have you been able to influence uh, your team? And, and that's either through, you know, like things like soft skills, like a positive attitude or, um, you know, like, like interest in their personal life to harder skills, like convincing with data and influencing with data and understanding how, um, you know, like, you know, data is, is, is powerful and, and can help like convince people um, of the right thing to do. 
Uh, so yeah, that's that's a great realization. Uh, and trans like transitioning now, um, you know, you had your three rotations at at Facebook, all extremely different, right? Small business uh, ad analytics. Um, uh, you were also doing, uh, you know, the the election fake news stuff, and then Oculus. You're currently at New Bank, which is a, uh, a uh, you know, from what we've learned, it's a uh, it's a digital bank based in Brazil. How did you get there? Why did you get there? Or why did you go there? Um, would love to to dive into that. Yeah, it's really not a linear story. So when I was nearing my end of my the end of my RPM program, I thought the thing I wanted to do was go work at WhatsApp. As I mentioned earlier in this conversation, the thing I really cared about um, when thinking about the technology industry was the impact in emerging markets. Uh, I was born in India, spent a lot of my childhood there, and I just saw the impact that apps like WhatsApp had in India. And the way I thought about it was like, when Facebook Messenger or iMessage came around in the US, it was doing something that we already did and making it slightly easier. We had email, we had AIM, and yeah, this was lowering the cost of the friction. Most WhatsApp users in emerging markets never had anything like this, not at all. And you're kind of leapfrogging different generations of technology. And for that, I thought the impact was just incredible uh, and getting and empowering people who had never, never had something like this. And so a lot of that, my time at Facebook, I thought I wanted to go work at WhatsApp. And that's kind of what I was going to do. And I was like, you know, talking to the team and seeing if there was an interesting fit. But as I, I started talking to like some of my mentors, one of them told me something really prescient, which was like, well, if this emerging markets thing is what you're really interested in, the place to learn about that is not a comfortable office in Menlo Park, California. Go to an emerging market, actually go work for a company there. It's like, yeah, actually, you know, that's, that doesn't sound like a half bad idea. Um, and so I started just doing some research, looking up on LinkedIn, seeing what company was on there. And New Bank, where I work right now, was a company whose name came, came up a couple of times. Uh, I, when I started doing research, they had just raised their Series E or F, one of them I'm forgetting, and had just been valued as a decacorn. So there was a decent amount of press around them. Uh, Brazil was a space I didn't know anything about, but Latin America had always been interesting. Uh, I had done an internship at PayPal, and so like fintech was sort of in the background, although not something I was, you know, definitely going for. But the more I learned about this company, uh, the more excited I got to be. One, uh, like what I had seen with WhatsApp in India and other parts of the world, New Bank had completely disrupted the banking landscape in Brazil. In 2014, if you had to open a bank account, you were largely going to one of the large five banks, which had terrible customer service, charged a lot of fees, didn't give banks to most of the um, younger people or people who hadn't had an account before. They were just catering to wealthy people. New bank came in, was completely digital, no bank branch, um, you know, zero fees, and disrupted the market. And when I when I had heard about them, uh, they were at 15 million customers. We recently announced that we passed 30 million customers. So they've grown really, really fast. The other thing I, I liked a lot was that their their culture was very similar to what I had seen from startups in the in in Silicon Valley. Um, I, I think like people think of it as like combining if you take like Facebook or Amazon and combine it with Capital One and put it in Brazil. That's how I think of uh, New Bank. It's it's taking this financial technology world, the startup culture of Silicon Valley, and then adding this Latin mix to it, uh, which I thought was fascinating. I had also heard and seen a lot of people from established tech companies in the U.S. go work at New Bank. And 
uh, that was just an awesome signal for me, including some people from uh, from uh, who had been at Facebook. And I think like uh, when I was making this decision, there was a quote from Sheryl Sandberg that I still think about and what made me make the jump, which is that when you're offered a seat in or on a rocket ship, uh, you don't ask what seat, you just jump on. And I just kind of thought of like Newbank then and now as this thing that was growing really fast, but was a little bit of a diamond in the rough. And for me, it would just be an awesome journey to go join this, you know, growth safe startup and try it out. So um, I was really excited. I went and visited them in uh, January of last year in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, this is a crazy thing uh, to move to a continent I've never been to, to a country where I don't know the language, to an industry I haven't worked at, and a company that I haven't heard at, uh, heard about till six months ago was like a lot of a lot of changes. But I was like, if there's a time and place in my life that I can take a risk, it's now. I don't have any responsibilities. I'm still early in my career. And yeah, worst case, this thing goes south. I come back to Facebook a year later. Uh, and so I decided to uh, pull the trigger. Uh, the plan was to move to Brazil. As you can tell, maybe by my background, I'm not in uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Uh, and because of coronavirus, kind of things just got postponed. So I, I started working remotely with them in April which was a fascinating experience to onboard remotely to a new company in all these different contexts. And it's been a blast. I'm really, really happy with my decision. That's awesome. I kind of have like a two-part question to this. So the first part is like, can you kind of dive into what it was like recruiting as an experienced PM um, into like, an, like a senior PM role? And then beyond that, so you start at Newbank, what is expected out of you? And um, like, how did you, you know, take on these responsibilities really quickly? Because like when you start at Facebook, you're you're like a new joiner, you're straight out of undergrad, so it's kind of gradually given to you. But now you're starting as an experienced hire, and it's just there's like a different level of expectation. So, sure. So I think the difference between recruiting for a large tech company like Facebook and a startup is in what is expected of you in your role. When you're working at a large company, uh, your role is uh, very specific. And what I mean by that is it has nothing to do with how large or small your scope is, but you're the product manager of this and you will be the product manager of that. And that's your role. When you work at a, at a smaller place and it's kind of a spectrum, the more, the more smaller you go, like series A, this is even more so the case than for us, you're kind of like a jack of all trades because there's a lot of problems that the company needs to solve. Priorities are changing all the time and they just need someone to put their hand up and help. And like a lot of your time, you might not even be any traditional product management. You'll just be doing whatever the company wants you to do or whatever is most important for the company. So I kind of think of like a new bank as somewhere in the middle of that spectrum where we're big enough that at this point, I don't know if we can call us a startup. It's probably a growth stage company, but we're not big enough yet. We're like a large technology institution and we're somewhere in that, in the middle of that spectrum. So in terms of interviewing, um, they, the interview process now is, uh, has some elements of what I saw at Facebook, but they definitely care a lot more about your experience as well. And the reason for this is one, I wasn't interviewing for an entry level role. Second, because Facebook is able to invest a lot more time in taking people who have no experience, training them for product management, and then training them for that specific role, right? They have a lot of time. The smaller the company is, the more expensive it is to spend more time in onboarding someone. And so they want people to come in and be ramped, right? You can't spend a lot of time onboarding. 
you can't definitely can't spend time in an 18 month program, you know, learning what to do because you know the company just can't afford that. There's, there's a lot, lot going on. So from the interview process um, perspective, I spent a lot more time talking about what I had done at Facebook, what are my experiences, what are the, the product areas I've worked at, so they could get a sense of like where I would fit in. And then coming in as a uh, as a product manager at Newbank. I think the expectation was, yeah, there's some onboarding, but like at that point, you know, you got to go figure out what you want to do. And it was, it was both exciting and frightening um, because once again, as a smaller company, we did not still do not have fantastic documentation or great guides. You kind of, you know, making it up as you go. So that, that was definitely an interesting experience. The other thing I found out, um, over my time at Newman was that there's a lot of things that need to be figured out to make the company work properly that are, were not part of my scope as I thought. it. So one of the examples that has come up um, and I invest a lot of time in recently is interviewing and recruiting. When I went through Newbank's interview process uh, at that point, uh, earlier that year, there, there was a team of only 15 PM. So they didn't spend a lot of time at that point thinking of creating like a world-class interview process. They didn't need to. Um, as I had been through it, I had a great experience with my interviewers, but I, I felt there was room for us to improve the interview process. And so when I joined, they're like, great, you want to help us revamp the interview process. Uh, and so I spent a lot of time just uh, designing the new interview process at Newbank and now spent a lot of time interviewing, which is something I never would have done at Facebook because there were so many more senior PMs uh, than me. So I think that that's like a big, big difference. The other thing is like you are now as someone coming from Facebook as a, as a place which is a product management shop, um, people look to you for your experience. And a lot of times people are looking to me for examples, which is strange because at Facebook, that was never the case, right? There was always people who are in whatever area were much better than me. And here I, I, I get to uh, play that role a little bit. Great. Um, I know we're we're getting we're getting close on uh, time here. So um, you've got all this this wealth of experience at at companies, you know, big companies like PayPal or big now, uh, PayPal, Salesforce, um, Facebook. You went to a um, growth stage startup at um, Newbank. Where do you see your your career kind of going from here? And it sounds like the theme that's resonated with you. Um, up till now, or at least, you know, as you started your role at Facebook is emerging markets. Um, but yeah, how do you, how do you kind of see yourself continuing to grow, um, you know, as a product manager? Yeah. So I think uh, advice I got early is to think of your career as a product. And in that, what I mean by that is like, I always have hypotheses that I'm trying to validate and that helps me decide what I want to do. So when I started at Facebook, the hypotheses were, do I like tech? Do I like product management? And do I like the Bay Area? And I pretty much answered all three of them. The next one was, uh, and they, there was a yes to the first two. And the, there's a third one. It was like, like the Bay Area, but I don't know if this is like the place I want to be for my entire life. Then it was like the emerging markets thing is what is really, really interesting to me. Let's validate if that's actually true rather than sitting at Facebook. And at, so that's, that's, the, that's one. The second is, how do I see myself working at a smaller institution? Uh, relative to Facebook. And the third is, what do I think of FinTech? So, so far, it's been less than a year. I think the answers are, I really, really love the emerging market space. 
I find it fascinating to build products for consumers that are not like us, right? It forces you to really um, reevaluate a lot of your assumptions because the people who are using uh, your products don't have the lifestyle that you do. So that's been awesome and I've learned a lot. I have uh, also really enjoyed working at the scale that Nubank is at. I think it's a kind of a best of both worlds. I get to see a little bit of the startup side and have the comfort of being at a larger institution as well. And I have also liked working on fintech, although that's the hypothesis that I haven't validated as much because I spent I didn't spend as much of my time working on deep financial products. So my goal is to like spend the rest of my time validating these hypotheses and understand. And if the answer is, yeah, emerging markets fintech is the place for you, I'd be happy to stay at Nubank or find the next thing that fits in that realm. Um, so I don't have a clear answer of, of what's next. I think what's interesting is like up until my first job, I felt like I was always thinking two steps ahead, right? So in call in high school, you're thinking of college, then you're thinking of like your internships, then you're thinking of your first job. And getting my job at Newbank was such an unplanned thing that it taught me that there's value in chance. And, you know, sometimes you got to, you know, just let things happen if you put yourself in good places. So I actually have not planned out uh, what's next. And I'm sort of, you know, focusing on what's going on right now at work and uh, seeing seeing what are the exciting opportunities. Abhi, this has been great. There's so much good information here. Thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Um, final words? I think the one thing I go back to um, is a little going back to the interview process. But one thing I just remember that I didn't say was something I learned is that especially when you're applying to APM programs or PM programs in general, it's a little bit of a crapshoot in terms of the amount of roles that are available and the number of people that are applying. And let's be honest, yes, you're absolutely qualified, but there are a lot of other people there as doing, uh, you know, equally as qualified, if not more. So when you walk into an interview, you have to think about how can you stand out, right? What is gonna make it so that this interviewer who has given this question probably 20 times is gonna even remember who you are two days from now. For most companies, what really matters in an interview process is not everyone saying, yeah, he was fine, like no issues. You really need one person to really go to bat for you. Like, yes, if we hire him, I want this person on my team and I'm willing to fight for that. So think about that and think about what can you do to really stand out? The things that I recommend to candidates is, especially in the product sense interview, you can really think of practicing out of the box ideas or come up with really, really creative solutions. To me, that has been one way. There are probably other ways that I haven't thought of, but go in with that frame of mind that, that your job isn't to not fail, it's to convince them that you need to be the person on their team. Um, and I think hopefully that motivates you as you prepare for interview. Awesome, this has been great. Thanks, Abby, for everything. And uh, listeners, if you have any questions, don't forget to send us an email, like and subscribe. Um, again, this is our sixth uh, podcast and, and we're still learning. So if you have any feedback, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, and again, Abby, thank you so much for your time. This has been great. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Yeah, thanks, Abby. Take care. Yeah.